Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury's Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm John Simon. We're back with part two of jury nullification. So, John, one thing you said, I think, is the, the common thing that binds all the articles I've read in the last couple of days. You cannot tell the jury they have the power to ignore the law or the facts. You can't tell them that. Right. No, no court, no modern court will ever allow that. I, don't, I hope I'm getting this correct. I might not have it exactly right. Uh, I believe it was Tom Strong, who we've had on the podcast, who's considered one of the best attorneys in Missouri ever. And I think there's a case out there where it was against a utility company, and in closing argument, he told the jury there's not there's nothing in these instructions that require you to be fair to the defendant, okay? Now, he, but that wasn't a nullification arm. That was the instructions don't say that you need to be fair. So, you know, you're right. I mean, the, the word, it's not what, what the words say, but it's what they don't say also. And by the way, I think the court in that case said it was he was okay saying that in that case, but, you know, said probably not a good idea to keep, you know, to, to do that again going forward. To try to get out of there's so many different ways that it, this is done without directly saying ignore the facts and ignore the law to the jury. Because I think most lawyers hopefully understand you're you're going to probably get in trouble with the court if you do that. So we file typically as our last motion in limine, at least I do in every case, and especially med mal cases. And it it starts like this, and then and then it gives a list of particular examples that I think you know, maybe said in that particular case, and we can go through some of them and talk about them, but courts should exclude any evidence or argument that seeks jury nullification, otherwise suggests the jury not follow the law, or invites the jury to decide the case on some other grounds than the law and the evidence. And that last one leaves a lot of wiggle room where I try to identify things. And then do you put specific examples, examples in your motion? Correct. What are they? So, you know, then I define jury nullification from Black's Law Dictionary, and then it happens in civil and criminal cases. Some particular examples, med mal cases, you mentioned this already, that the defendant is a good doctor or a good hospital with a good repu reputation. We hear that one, like, all the time. That is, characterization as a good doctor has nothing to do with what the plaintiff is alleging in this case or what the doctor did in this specific case, arguing that he shouldn't, he or she shouldn't be held liable because they're a good doctor is irrelevant character evidence, and it is an invitation to the jury to not follow the court's instructions. Does a punitive claim affect that at all? Not really, because what does that mean? Like they're a good doctor or a good hospital? If, if they do that, I get to introduce every medical malpractice case that has ever been filed against them, any verdict that has ever happened against them. I think a punitive damages open up open up things, certainly, but then it depends how you argue them, and you better make clear what structure. It has to be, the conduct has to be related to what Related to the what case. the case right. is about, because that's what you're saying. What they did in this case was a conscious disregard for safety or reckless or whatever the standard is. Just saying that, that he's a good doc. I mean, how can you disprove that other than, okay, well, let's pull out all the Google reviews. I, like, I don't know what to do. Well, you know, for instance, we had a case with punitives and it was a product liability case and there were the company that we had sued had all kinds of trouble with the government they had you know they were under government investigation the government actually had had fined them for knowingly selling defective products and so on and so forth 
and and we had punitives in the case, and none of that came in. Initially, it didn't come in, but the defense attorney spent a lot of time talking about, you know, they had the corporate rep on the stand, what a wonderful company this is, and all the good things, and the door was wide open, and we got to get it in. But initially, the bad conduct has to have something to do with the issue in the case, whether it's the same product or failure to test or something like that. Your, your uh, point reminds me of that federal rule on character. If you want to introduce, there's a prohibition. You can't introduce character to show that someone acted in conformity with that character. And that's what that is. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say right. he's good, therefore he must have been good in this case. Right. Which is jury nullification. I mean, it's just it's like we can't say argument. we can't say that the doctor was sued two years ago for the same so thing. He so he was negligent in this case. That we, we're not allowed to do that. Another one, and we brought up this one up earlier, that the defendant tried their best or they can't be expected to be perfect. That's not the standard set out by the law for what constitutes negligence or a breach of the standard of care. Trying one's best is not enough to meet the standard of care. It's irrelevant to whether the standard of care was met and any suggestion otherwise cannot be allowed because they're telling them not to follow what the definition is for the standard. You know, you, you brought up this, we can't be perfect. And I had a med mal case where the defendant doctor on the stand said we can't be perfect we can't be perfect yeah and it's just it was funny because we took a break after that cross-examination and i was out in the hallway with the bailiff and the bailiff came over to me and said <laughs> you know what if they're doing surgery on me damn it i want them to be perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of blew up right exactly so there's this colloquial idea of negligent is like sloppy doesn't give a shit and and versus takes care tries hard. There's yeah. this colloquial thing. I can see why they're trying to make that argument. Right. Instead of what it actually is, is a medical doctors come in and say what is supposed to be done in a particular set of circumstances. When you do this surgery, you make sure you identify this part of the anatomy before you put a stitch in so that you, so that you don't injure someone. That's why we have standard like, care. Well, they didn't, I mean, they were trying their best. Like, so, woo, that has nothing to do with anything. That's why we have standard of care. So we don't have this general tries hard, yeah. good guy, that kind of thing. Right. We talk about what you're supposed to do, what a, what a reasonable doctor does in this circumstance. And so now, now we're not talking about whether he or she is a good doctor or parent or whatever driver. So I, I think we could solve all of this by just abandoning the MA, all the instructions, just throw them all out and give one instruction at the end and tell the jurors, so what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, let's, let's push it. In which case, so, then I get to yeah. say whatever I want. So what do you think? Or <laughs> what? do what you think is right. All right, you, you, you said it. So what would happen in most of your cases, do you think, if you didn't instruct and you said, okay, folks, I'd like to believe that it would make a big difference that we have specific instructions that jurors are supposed to follow. But I think overall, it probably wouldn't make that much of a difference. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, if, if the juror... If the jurors hear your story and they're not going for it, it doesn't matter when they get these instructions at the end. If they don't like the case, if they don't see your cause as being just and fundamentally fair, what you're asking for, you're not going to win the case. They made up their mind before they got right. the instructions. You, you are not going to win that case unless unless the jury at the at the beginning believes your cause is just. What the defendant did was not you know proper. It was unfair. And, and that's why it's, it's, it's not just the fact, it's how you frame the stuff, too. That's why all that stuff is so important. If it, if it wasn't, we wouldn't need to be there, right? We could just give them, give them the evidence in written form and, you know, let them decide what they want to do. Here, here's another one. And this one's a little bit less clear to me. It just kind of drives me crazy because I hear it 
all the time when there's really, really bad injuries. Well, bad outcomes don't necessarily meet, meet negligence. And that, to me, is just an attempt to distract the jury from the actual standard for negligence. And I, I suppose we can yeah, just kind of like it. shit happens. Yeah, I usually respond with, it, it gets asked either of my expert or their expert, and I go, do you understand that we are not claiming this is a bad outcome unrelated to negligence? You understand that, right, doctor? That we're claiming it was a horrific outcome as a result of egregious negligence. You, you get that's what we're saying, and the instructions are going to. But, I mean, I guess it's technically true. I'm, bad I'm, outcomes I'm, don't well, always I'm, mean negligence. I want to put my defendant cap on. So yeah. are you saying that because it's a bad outcome that it was negligent? No. That's, so they're, they're trying to say, well, I'm just saying an obvious yeah. thing here. It's It's a way of saying, like, you can't decide it on sympathy. Which is true, but it's just it just kind of like I'm not saying I'm not telling the jury not to follow the law and you're suggesting that I am. Here's one that we hear in a bunch of different ways. You I just listened to the closings in your case from a week or two ago, and it was absolutely said that medicine or surgery is really hard. This is really complicated. You were called a wordsmith, which I found hilarious, and of oversimplifying it. That was the best compliment I've ever gotten <laughs> in a closing good. argument to tell me that I'm oversimplifying things for the jury in a med mal case. Yeah, no. That was, thank you. And it's the fact that something is or is not hard has no impact on whether it was negligent. It's an attempt to convince the jury that there's no such thing as negligence if you're doing something that requires a high degree of skill, like if you're a doctor. That's clearly not what the law says. Acting as a doctor or performing surgery would be extremely difficult or impossible for any person who did not spend their lifetime of education and training learning how to do it. Hence, you can't do it unless you're licensed to do it. So the standard is that a provider needs to use that degree of skill and learning, et cetera, et cetera. They're judged against those in their own profession. And making that argument, who are you? It's basically like, who are you to judge them? It is explicitly inviting them not to follow the instructions. And we hear it. I mean, we hear that one every time. I like the argument that there was blood during the surgery. Yeah, that was a particular good one. He couldn't see it. There was blood. That was like, is that unusual? <laughs> yeah. It was a C-section. Yeah. Like, there was, yeah. do you normally not see blood? Who are you doing C-sections on? Right, yeah. I mean, I want to know how many you've had where you didn't run into any blood. One you mentioned earlier, that they did not intentionally try to harm plaintiff. That's not what the breach of the standard of care requires. It's also not the standard for punitive damages most of the time. I mean, I... I understand if if you have a punitive claim, you probably get to say that, but the punitive standard isn't actually require intentional conduct. Mm -hmm. That is an option for punitive damages. Mm -hmm. Plaintiff's outcome was in God's hands. Canon law. They're blaming it on God, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. No, no religious arguments or references should be made. Suggesting an outcome was determined by God's will is a direct plea for the jury to ignore the law. Even I the, haven't even, actually seen an attorney do that, but I've heard witnesses say it in depots, and then I promptly filed a motion and eliminate. The secular version of that is, you know, bad things. Shit happens, I guess, right? Sometimes the universe just has things happen. Yeah, right. And that's, it's like, well, no, but they're here to decide if they thought it was negligent under the instructions. That Not to say shit happens, there shouldn't. That's a there shouldn't be lawsuits argument, right? That because defendants healthcare providers try to help people, including the plaintiff, 
they cannot or should be held, shouldn't be held liable. I, we hear that all the time. They don't say the last part of that sentence, but doctor, why why did you get into medicine? I want to help people. Okay, right. or I mean, maybe maybe because you thought it was a more lucrative career than some other choice. I I, I mean, I don't. There's there's other reasons. I mean, and that would open the door. If that were appropriate, we could spend hours talking about who's better and who's good and who's right. decent and kind and yeah. That defendants continue to treat this plaintiff because they care about him. That's one that I've heard before. And then just generally suggesting the jury disregard the law, questioning the fairness and morality of the law, criticizing the civil justice system or med mal lawsuits as being bad for society, bad for insurance rates calling like referring it to it as a lottery system and then and then there's ones that are really case specific and you this was an issue we've had in cases we've worked on and one that you had in your most recent case john misrepresentations of plaintiffs actual theories of liability right right is a method of jury nullification right making straw man arguments it involves time consuming testimony that certain decisions or treatment were within the standard of care when they're not the theories of negligence that plaintiff is pursuing at trial or submitting to the jury to drown out what your actual case is about, right. what's right. in the instructions. So, and, and again, this isn't particular to a case, but as an example, if, you're, if your allegation is that the defendant doctor put a stitch through something that they shouldn't have stitched when closing up in a surgery, the question becomes... You know, they'll, they'll spend 30 minutes on the decision to have the surgery. Yeah. You know, and that was appropriate. And they did this, and that was appropriate. This right. amount of time with right. the plaintiff before the surgery. Right. I've had a case where the issue was was what happened during a surgery, period. And, and maybe it was my fault. I should have, you know, more strenuously objected or repeatedly. You know, they, they spent an hour with all the treatment and interactions they had with my client leading up to the, you know, the surgery, the office visits and everything else, and how they cared about them and... And it's just, it is, it's, 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 it's a straw man. It's straw man. We, we weren't, we weren't negligent when we did this. We weren't negligent when we did this. You know, we're not claiming that you are, you know, we're claiming that this. You put a stitch specific, through the right, thing. Right, yeah, exactly. So. It wastes time. It misleads and confuses the jury about what the case is about. It drowns out information relevant to the theories being pursued. And it creates hypothetical claims we're not submitting on and then disproves them, which is a straw man argument. And it's. Missouri courts and I think just about every state's courts say that is not proper to erect straw men and their arguments to the range of issues properly before the jury. It's not permitted to devise hypothetical defenses or hypothetical claims and then destroy them. Irrelevant alternative and alternative possible causation testimony. It's another issue you have. Yeah, especially when you have the defendants admitting that the negligent conduct contributed to cause your client's injuries and damages, yep. and then what it's dis it's distorting the causation the, the uh, standard on causation. You know when they argue this also caused it or this contributed, it doesn't matter if eight other things contributed. Yeah, as long as the their negligent conduct contributed to it, it's the end of the story. And it happens even without trying to tie like you know risk factors, generalizations about possible correlations of other things that can result in this injury where not even their own experts can say any of those contributed. They just throw out 19 other things that can result in a particular injury when, like, it's not evidence that it contributed to this injury, and, in fact, there's no dispute about what did contribute. I'm going to try to put my defendant cap on again. So I'm just trying to isolate what is 
being talked about and what's not being talked about. Yeah. So the jury can focus on the one thing. Yeah. And you're seeing that all that work around the periphery, all the things that did not cause it as distracting and, and attempting to use those to say, we're basically, we, we batted 900. Yeah, it, you know? even, even getting to the point where they'll list 10 things that could cause it and admit that eight of them don't exist in our case. And yet they you know, spend and, and yet time. they spend 45 minutes on it, or more than that, because they revisit it with with more than one witness. And that, that's just trying to confuse the jury and 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 really have them not follow the the instruction on causation on the contributed to cause. Listing a parade of other possible contributions or risk factors while ultimately admitting causation under the standard in the jury instructions is an attempt at jury nullification. Even if they don't admit causation you still can't list 20 different risk factors if they do not have a doctor that can say all of these did contribute to cause this. So let me ask you this, Tim, how, how well that, that motion that on jury nullification that you say you include in every, every one of your cases, yeah. how well is that received by the courts? By the time we get to it, the court is exhausted generally, so maybe I need to move it up. And usually what happens is defense counsel says, well, we would never make any jury nullification arguments. So this, we don't need to take this. And it gets granted. And I go, is it granted? And they go, well, no, I mean, I don't think some of these are jury. And I went, right. That's why I gave the example. So I would like to talk about them. And what usually happens is some judges have said, well, I'm certainly not going to allow any jury nullification arguments. We don't need to go through each of these. If you think you hear one, then you need to make an objection. Or they'll go through and say, counsel, defense counsel, do certainly, and, and pick out seven out of 10, you agree you definitely can't do this. Yeah, so I'll grant that for those subparts by stipulation. For the other ones, I'll have to hear exactly how it's argued. And, and so usually it's like granted in part, but I'm highlighting it right. for the judge. Th this, this happens, it happens a lot, and there is there are things you can do about it. And one of them is exactly what we're yeah. talking about, and that is to identify what these possible arguments are going to be, you know, unique, just general, in general, that we see, and then the ones that are unique and specific to your case, and then put those in a motion and eliminate. So we've given some some examples that we encounter, particularly in, in med mal cases of attempts at jury nullification or things that can result in jury nullification, whether there's a, a deliberate attempt being made to do that or not. There's, I'm sure there's dozens, hundreds of other examples in different kinds of cases on both sides of the aisle and in criminal and civil cases. And the fact is that the jury has the power to do it. The point is you need to be on the lookout for it because attorneys shouldn't be allowed to encourage it. Right. And I think the, the, th the key thing that you just said was you need to be on the lookout and you know, don't wait till trial for this because you're going to see it in the depositions. You're going to see it in their experts, the, the defense experts' yeah. depositions. You're going to see it when your own experts are being cross-examined. You're really going to see it when you take the deposition of the defendant doctors because they're going to be all over it. And so as you're going in the workup of the case, as you see these arguments, jot them down. You know they're coming. We did our best. We're highly trained and you know all, all of this stuff. So it's not just filing a motion in limine. You need to identify the specific issues during the workup of the case. Cite to them. Right. Cite to them. That's really powerful. If you can pull out a deposition and say, see, Judge, this is it right here. They've said this eight times with three different witnesses. You really need to keep an eye out in the workup of the case. And more important, during the trial, listen, 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 and closing and opening, all of that, so that you need to be prepared during the trial to get up at the sidebar and, and let the judge know they're making this argument. We did it at the last trial where 
you know, they started talking about things that happened before the surgery, and the, the whole case was about what happened during the surgery. And I, I try not to object a lot, but I was up at the sidebar a couple times saying, Judge, we're talking about stuff that happened some, it was like a few days before the surgery, and, and we got rulings on it. You know, we, we won those issues because we had alerted the judge to it from the beginning. So thank you for joining us again. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm Eric Feast. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.